Good morning, I'm Ethan Blankenship, and we'll be reading from 1 Peter 2, 11 through 17. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lust, which wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. Submit yourselves, for the Lord's sake, to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority, or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God, that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Act as free men, and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we do ask that you would speak to us, O Lord. Speak to us through your word now. Fulfill all your desires in us. Send forth your word. We trust, as you have said, it will not return to you void, but it will accomplish the good for which you've sent it. Lord, may you open our eyes to see ourselves in light of who we are in Christ, who you have made us to be. And that we would act like that. Act like who you have made us to be in the world. And as we look at your word this morning, a vision of that might become clearer to our hearts. And we might live it out more effectually in our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name for his glory. Amen. This past summer, my wife Lynn and I decided to spend our tax return to attend a friend's wedding in France. Uh, We almost didn't do it, but I'm so glad that we did. It was great to be back, reconnecting with friends, seeing firsthand how the church that we planted in Paris was doing. Uh, I was a bit surprised, actually, having only been away for a year, how everything in the church still felt very familiar, uh, very much like we left it. But at the same time, so many faces had already changed. One of the new faces was that of a young man, that I got to see and speak to several times over the course of our visit, uh, there was something different about this guy. Something different about the way he engaged with me and talked with others and just carried himself. It wasn't until I asked him what he wanted to do with his life that I understood the reason for all the differences. This young man wanted to be a diplomat. A diplomat for France. Have you ever met someone who wanted to be a diplomat? Diplomats are people who engage in the foreign affairs of their government, usually living as foreigners themselves while doing the business of their nation. Have you ever met someone like that before? Someone whose life, conduct, and business are all absorbed in representing another country and culture? That's really a trick question. You have met such a person because that person is you. You. You are that person. If you are a Christian here today, you 
are a diplomat. You are a diplomat for King Jesus. You are an elect exile, as we've been looking through the whole book of 1 Peter. You're an elect exile, a foreigner in a foreign land representing your true home. Like the young man I met who wanted to be a positive and winsome diplomat for, in the world for all that was French, you should want to be a positive and winsome diplomat in the world for all that is Christ-like. You should want to reflect well in this culture the values and culture of your real home. Being a diplomat means conducting yourself differently. Because every word you speak, everything you do reflects back either positively or poorly upon the king and kingdom you claim to represent. Because the truth is, if you have embraced Jesus as your king, then you've also embraced a calling, a calling to be in his diplomatic service to the world. This is who you are right now. You are already employed as a diplomat for Jesus. The Apostle Paul said, we are ambassadors for Christ right now. This is who we are. And as ambassadors, as diplomats, as elect exiles, let's see in 1 Peter what kind of difference this should make in our lives. If you're taking notes, here's the first thing I want you to see. As diplomats, we fight a different war. As diplomats, we fight a different war. We see our war in verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts, which wage war against the soul. We are a kingdom at war. We are diplomats of a kingdom in wartime. And who is the enemy we fight? It's not the Hindu priest. It's not the Buddhist monk. It's not the Muslim imam. It's not even the secular zealot. We don't fight our war with swords and bombs because our battle is not against people coming against us. Our war is fought within. Verse 11, we are to abstain from fleshly lust which wage war against the soul. John Owen said, we always carry our own worst enemy around with us in our own bosom all the time. It's my desires that wage war against my soul, Peter says. Our college students have been going through the book of James Sunday mornings, 930, and James says the very same thing, Peter says. James asks the question, what's the source of the quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your desires, which wage war within you? Your desires, which wage war within you. As diplomats for a kingdom at war, it's our duty to know who the real enemy is. 
And guess what? It's me. The real enemy is my selfish desires. It's my fleshly lust. Where's the real battlefield? It's in you. Your worst enemy is in your own bosom. It's your self-centeredness. It's your envy of others. It's your need for approval and praise. It's your desire to be your own savior. Our sinful desires are like an invading army. One that is garrisoned on the inside of us, who's continually engaged in acts of sabotage, doing violence to our lives and to our souls. So, as diplomats for Jesus, what are we to do? How do we fight an enemy that comes at us from within? What do we do? What does Peter say we should do? Verse 11. Peter says we should fight. We should fight by abstaining. By abstaining from those desires that would turn us away from God and darken our souls. The Apostle Paul tells us to put to death our sinful desires, which implies that it will be a struggle. It will be a fight, a fight to the death, until death. It'll be a fight, but abstain also carries with it another idea, the idea of avoidance. I abstain or refrain from taking part. But maybe the question's forming in your mind. It has formed in my mind. How do I do this? How can I abstain from an internal desire? It's easy to see how I can abstain from something that's outside of me, external to me. For example, I had four Oreos with my ice cream before I went to bed last Thursday. And like a child who had eaten too many sweets, I woke up in the night with a tummy ache. I, I see now that I need to abstain from eating so many Oreos before bed. But how do I abstain from the desire to eat Oreos before bed? That's the real question. How do I abstain from something that is internal? The heart wanting what the heart wants. Or in this case, the stomach wanting what it can't handle. If you're asking that question, you're not the first Christians who have gone before us have asked that question as well. And here is what they'll tell you. The way to abstain from an internal desire is by abstaining from the situations that trigger that desire in you. In my Oreo example, if I'm to avoid eating too many Oreos before bed... I need to avoid the triggering situation of inviting double-stuffed Oreos into my home. Put them on my bedside table. I don't do that. (laughs) To, To avoid the desire, I have to avoid the situation that triggers that desire. The phrase used generations ago was abstaining from the occasions of sin. What occasions your sin? It was the 
old vicar, Thomas Brooks, who once said that it is a just and righteous thing with God that the man who would dance upon the edge of the pit, that he should fall into it. It's a just and righteous thing with God that the man who would venture to dance upon the edge of the pit should fall in. In other words, God has determined that if you see how close to sin you can get, it is a just thing that you fall into it every time. Therefore, one of the ways you abstain from sinful desires is by avoiding the situations that occasion them. For example, if you know that watching that film is going to trigger lustful thoughts and desires in you, then abstain from watching it. Better to cast away a film of critical acclaim than to put weapons in the hands of the enemy of your soul. If you know Scrolling through your social media feed often occasions envy in your heart. Then abstain from scrolling and comparing your life with others. Better to unfollow some people than awaken envious desires, which will attack your contentment in Christ. If you know that mindlessly surfing the internet when it's late at night and you're all alone, is likely to take you to places you don't want to go, then abstain. Don't dance upon the edge of the pit. Better to be bored than to be inflamed with lust. If you know that accepting that invitation to hang out with those people always leads you to do things you don't want to do and say things you wish you hadn't have said, then Peter says... Abstain. Now, we do believe that the gospel is strong enough to protect us in dark places. I believe that. But it also doesn't call us to pursue situations where we know we are likely to stumble and fall. Divine wisdom calls us to avoid those things which occasion our sin and sinful desires. And those things are different for different people. What occasion sin for me may not for you, and vice versa. Know thyself. We're different. We're different, but we should all be doing this. Whenever we do give in to sinful desires, observe how you got there. Notice what triggered it. See if you can identify the starting point. Often the easiest place to fight and do what is right is at the very beginning. Once we start dancing on the edge of the pit, seeing how close we can get, it becomes so much harder to fight, to win that fight over our sinful desires. As diplomats, we are to fight differently by abstaining from our sinful desires. But also... By having our hearts won by a greater desire. If fleshly lusts wage war in a soul-destroying way, what desires wage war in a joy-giving, soul-saving kind of way? 
Peter's already told us back in chapter 1. If you look back at chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, Peter says, And though you have not seen Jesus, you love him. And though you do not see him now but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. The best weapon in the war within isn't the complete avoidance of all of our triggers, but a superior joy in Jesus that wins the day over all our other desires. We fight best the fleshly lust that wages war against our soul when we fight it with a heartfelt love and joy in Jesus. This is a different kind of war, folks. This is a different kind of war. It's a war for our very heart and soul. A war for over our desires. This, this is the war that matters most in the world. As diplomats, we fight a different war, verse 11. As diplomats, we behave a different way, verse 12. It's the second thing I want you to see. As diplomats, we behave a different way, verse 12. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. As diplomats, we're fighting sinful desires, which may mean abstaining from a lot of things that other people around us are indulging in, but that doesn't mean our lives are less than, less than others. In verse 12, we are called to live such good lives that people who aren't abstaining from anything will give glory to God one day. On the one hand, you may not be able to consume all the entertainments that others do because you feel the impact it, it has on your soul. But on the other hand, what are you called to do? You're called to live a life that is far, far better. Live such a good life. There are, just for example, there are TV shows out there that I wish, I wish I could watch. But I feel pretty sure that the impact they would have on me would not be a good one. Would be an inflaming of instead of an abstaining from sinful desires. Perhaps that wouldn't be the case for everyone. But for me, it would be dancing upon the edge of the pit. Some might accuse me of being a prude for abstaining, but Peter says, let them go ahead and think that. It doesn't matter. It's okay if others misunderstand your motives now and accuse you of getting it wrong. It's okay. You're called to live a better and fuller and kinder and more beautiful life. And one day, those who misunderstood and maligned your motives as wrong Peter promises that the same people, the very same people, will give glory to God for your witness in their lives. On the great day, when they stand before God, they will acknowledge and thank Him for the diplomatic work you did 
on behalf of the kingdom. That your behavior was different. Pointing them to a better, kinder world. A better, kinder king. As diplomats, we fight a different war, verse 11. We behave a different way, verse 12. And we submit for a different reason. That's what I want you to see in verses 13 and 14. As diplomats, we submit for a different reason. Look at verse 13. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as one in authority or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. What else are we to do as diplomats for Christ? Peter says we are to submit to proper authority, whether kings or governors or presidents. That makes sense, right? As diplomats, that makes sense. We, as diplomats, we work within the world's system of government and honor the proper authority. We do this not because we want power, not because we want political favors, not because we are social ladder climbers. Those things motivate others, but not diplomats in Christ's upside-down kingdom where the last is first, the first shall be last. The one who wants to be great must be the servant of all. That's not the way we operate. We submit ourselves, but why? Do you see it in verse 13? Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake. For the Lord's sake. As diplomats, we are good citizens in our places of exile because we want to reflect well upon our Lord. We want to reflect the goodness of His reign to the world around us. So as diplomats for Christ, we submit to proper authority. But that begs a question, doesn't it? How do we know what proper authority is? How do we know what proper authority is? Because authorities can be bad and tyrannical. Authorities can and have made it illegal to be a Christian or to share the gospel freely. What then is the hallmark of proper authority? It's here in verse 14. Here is the purpose of all human government. Governments are established by God, verse 14, for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. Proper authority is intended by God to be a check on evil and an encourager, a promoter of good. That's the purpose of government right there. Governments that pursue other purposes often end up doing more harm than good. Governments that reverse those purposes, punishing good and promoting evil, are opposed to God's intentions and no doubt will come to a bad end. As good diplomats for Jesus, we are called to submit wisely and live winsomely, even when others don't understand why. Look at verse 15. For such is the will of God that by doing right, you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. 
Do you want to know God's will for your life? Here it is. Peter tells you. Verse 15, for such is the will of God that by doing right you silence the ignorance of foolish men. You want to know God's will for your life? It's this. Be so very kind. Be so very loving. Be so very wise. Be so very gracious when wronged that the people who slander you look so very foolish. God cares more about you living like that than he cares about your big plans of where you'll be and what you'll do. This is God's will for your life. Verse 15, this is God's will. This is also God's will. Verse 16, act as free men and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves of God. In verses 15, 16, and 17, we see our fourth and final heading. As diplomats, we live a different lifestyle. As diplomats, we live a different lifestyle. Peter says here, act as free men. Live as free people. You are free. Act like it. Live like it. Act like who you are. Do you know the famous quote from St. Augustine? Love God and do as you please. Love God and do as you please. You may know it, but do you understand the truth of what he's saying? Love God and do as you please. You can love God and do as you please because a heart that truly loves God will want to do that which truly pleases him. I love Lynn. And in my best moments, motivated by that love, what I most want to do is what I know will bring her the most pleasure. The same is true in our relationship with God. Christian, you are completely free. Love God. Do what's in your heart. You're completely free, but you're completely free in this way. Love God and do as you please. In a love for God, do for him all that your hands find to do. G.K. Chesterton said, God is remaking the world where good things can run wild. And guess what, church? He's already begun. As the church, as diplomats for Jesus, we experience some of the first fruits now of what the coming kingdom will be like. And here's one of those things. We are to live as free men. This isn't optional, is it? It's a command. It's a good command. One that comes with only one prohibition attached to it. Verse 16, act as free men, only do not use your freedom as a covering for evil. You are free. But true freedom isn't found in acting upon your every whim and desire. True freedom is often found in saying no. In saying no to those desires which are really enemies to your soul. In saying no to those desires that would lead to our floundering in life. 
not our flourishing in life. You are free, Peter says, but don't let sin trick you into thinking you're free to serve the enemy. You're not. You are free from sin slavery, but at the same time, you belong to another. You are God's. You are God's bond slave, verse 16. Act as free men, only do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves of God. True freedom is only found in serving the right master. Self is not the right master. Self can often be the cruelest master. Many of your self-centered desires will prove self-destructive if you follow them. True freedom is only found in doing the will of a good master. The God who created us, who knows best how we flourish and live in freedom. He knows best how we should live as diplomats of his kingdom. Peter tells us, finally here, verse 17, in rapid fire, how we are to live a different lifestyle. Just imagine for a moment that we are all diplomats sitting in our embassy and we get our instructions through one of those coded machines that's like the old ticker tape, things that come out, just, just like one, one letter, one line at a time. Messages like that have to be brief and to the point. We send off the question to our king, how should we live in a, in a time of crisis like this? How should we live? The response comes back, verse 17. Honor all people. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the king. This is what we were to do as diplomats of God's kingdom. Here is how we are to live differently. Honor all people. Show respect to everyone. Not only is this kind and courteous, but it is also just. Justice says, give to each their due. Give to each person the proper respect that is due to them. One of my favorite episodes of television ever is a Doctor Who episode that retells a Christmas carol, Dickens' Christmas carol, but set in space. Uh, When the doctor asks the Scrooge character, who is this person? Nobody important, is Scrooge's response. How very interesting, the doctor replies. In 900 years of time and space, I have never met someone before who wasn't important. That's true, y'all. That's true. C.S. Lewis said, you have never met an ordinary person. Never. Every person you have ever met is an image bearer of God. A being with an immortal soul. So, give to all, every person, what they're due. Honor. Honor all people. Also, see there in verse 17, love the brethren. Love the brotherhood. Love the family of believers. Love your local church. Love your local church as you love your family. Fulfilling this command doesn't happen out there. It happens here. 
it happens here. Fulfilling this command involves loving the local bride of Christ, loving the people sitting next to you. You can't be a good diplomat for Christ's kingdom if you're not loving the local expression of His kingdom. And you can't love people you don't know. You can't really love people with whom there isn't some element of shared life. So, let me encourage you. Stay and hang out with folks after worship is over on Sundays. I love to see people who are slow to leave because they're enjoying one another so much. Let me encourage you in this. Use Sundays that we have here together. Use this as a launching pad for the rest of the week, as a launching pad for weekday ministry. While you're here, make plans with someone to grab a coffee during the week. Plan a play date with kids from the church. Make arrangements to grab lunch with someone you want to get to know better. Ask them as you meet up. Ask them, what's God teaching you? How can I pray for you? In doing that, doing the normal things of life, eating meals, grabbing coffee, these become opportunities to love the brethren when we engage in them as diplomats for Jesus. And if you're at a complete loss of where to begin doing that, just show up 5.30 on Wednesday nights, and you can sit down at a table with different groups of people each week discussing the Scripture, diving into it, applying it, praying for one another, and eating good food. We have free Chick-fil-A this week, thanks to Natalie Zayner. So thank you, Natalie. Uh, that's coming come on Wednesday night. We structure things. And we try to structure things in this church family where there are natural opportunities to show love and to grow more in love with one another. As diplomats for Jesus, a big part of your mission is to show the world the love we have for one another. By this, all men will know you are my disciples if you love one another. Love the family of believers. There's a third thing here in verse 17. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God. Fear God. Fear God is another instruction given to us as diplomats in exile. And on one level, I think this is pretty self-explanatory, but on another level, maybe not. I think instinctively you know what it means to fear God, but you may have trouble putting it into words. As Christians, we fear God not as one fears a tyrant, but in the sense that a child fears a good father. The tyrant you fear because you don't know what horrible thing he will do and what trivial thing might set him off to do it. But a good father is feared because of love. A child fears to willfully offend him because they love the father so deeply. A good father also inspires a sense of awe in a child, in the heart of a child. My toy broke and dad fixed it right in front of my eyes. What other great things can dad do, I wonder? We are all perpetual children in our relationship with God. Children who will never outgrow our wonder at what dad can do. So, the fear we have here that 
that Peter talks about is one that is bathed in love and a sense of awe at who God is and what he is capable of doing. Peter says, fear God and honor the king, honor the ruler, give honor to whom honor is due. Honor the king. This doesn't mean we always agree with the king. We don't blindly praise all that our leaders do, do we? Any more than Peter or Paul would praise the Roman emperors for all they did. We may disagree with a lot of what our leaders do, but we don't disrespect them. We may disagree, but we don't disrespect. Why? Because that would be undiplomatic. That would be uncivil, and it would be unchristlike. If allegiance to King Jesus means that we must oppose the policies and personal conduct of Caesar, then we do so respectfully, showing honor to the position even if the man himself acts without honor. This puts us in a very different position from most all the world around us. And you just have to look at bumper stickers to know that's that's true. It puts us in a very different position from most all the world around us, and that shouldn't surprise us. We are diplomats, after all. Diplomats who fight a different war, who behave a different way, who submit for a different reason, and who live a different lifestyle. As good diplomats for Jesus, let's listen to the commands of our Lord and live such good lives that others will be drawn to his cause, apply for citizenship in his kingdom, and embrace a life as a diplomat in his service. Father, I ask that all of us this morning would look at Jesus and find in him the king our hearts have always wanted, the one whose rule and reign is good, the one who is the good master. Lord, may we throw off the shackles of self and sin and desires that would destroy us, desires that are self-destructive in their very nature. Lord, may we find the freedom to say no and find the, the joy to embrace Jesus, to serve him as a diplomat of his kingdom, to draw others into our joy and into the service of the king who is good, whose reign over us is our flourishing, whose increase of his government and his peace will never end. Lord, may we all, Find our place in relation to Jesus, our King. And may we all find joy everlasting in his service. Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.